0: God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. good evening, everybody. Welcome back. It's so good to see you. I hope you've had a wonderful week since we last got to see each other. We are really starting to enter into that like Christmas kind of phase now, aren't we? Right? Starting to get that little bit of buzz in the air. There's all the kids going crazy. Traffic is absolutely insane all through Fairview Heights. It is good because I'm prone to forget. Though I would like to let you know ahead of time that tonight I will be wrapping up right after the sermon. So we'll be joining us, are joining each other in prayer, and then we'll be leaving directly from the sermon. Uh, Ryan, the worship team, all the guys, they are prepping for an awesome Christmas run. And so any chance they can to kind of work towards their craft and help finalize things as we go into a very, very exciting and busy Christmas, uh, that's what's happening. They, they're not quitting or going crazy. You could hang out and wait for them, I guess, if you wanted, but you'll be here a week. So... <laughs> When I was growing up, I used to watch a lot of action movies. Uh, Unlike a lot of kids who watched Disney films and things like that, that wasn't really like on the TV in my house. Um, I watched things like Top Gun. I watched movies like uh, Commando. Uh, I watched a lot of uh, Kickboxer, things like that. Predator, Enter the Dragon, and of course, the greatest Christmas movie ever. Say it with me. Die Hard. hard. Thank you, Jim Shofstall. Well done, sir. I greatly appreciate that. Now, um, being a kid, though, you know, we watched at the time, and I didn't know this, the TV edits. Do you guys remember TV edits? When you could watch a movie and it wasn't filled with a lot of cussing and a lot of things because they would actually, like, trim it down and all that stuff. Yeah, I didn't realize that was a thing growing up. I just enjoyed watching these movies. And so, uh, shocker of all shockers, when I get older and I watch a lot of these movies, I'm like, whoa, like, that's not appropriate for kids. What is up with that? But the thing that I really like about that era of movies, and action movies specifically, is it was always clear who the bad guy was. Like, you didn't have to question it. You know, Die Hard, right? One of my favorite movies, Hans Gruber is a bad guy. Like, he was there to steal things right? That's bad. He was there while he killed a guy. That's bad. We don't do that. He was there to threaten a bunch of people, and then he tried throwing John McClane off of a building. All of those are bad things. He's a bad guy. It makes it really, really easy to see. Nowadays, <laughs> when you see a movie, it's like there is no good guy and there is no bad guy, Right? And even in superhero movies, and it kind of drives me crazy, I get the art of film and all that, and I can appreciate it for still being a good movie, but it's like, you've got Batman, he's a superhero, kind of, or is he like a sociopath? It's really kind of hard to tell, you know? Superman suddenly is bad, and he's trying to hurt the other people? Captain America's working for Hydra? It's like, it's hard to keep track of, and it kind of drives me nuts, And again, it's one of those things like, I'm not critiquing the movies per se, I'm just saying I don't personally like and appreciate when it's hard to tell who's actually good and then who's actually bad. I just prefer simpler times, like the movie Commando. I'll leave you with that one, you can go check it out on your own. So tonight, we continue our examination of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 2 here of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking to finally get a lot of clarity. We're going to see who some of the protagonists are, and we're going to find out who the antagonists are as well, right here in Jesus' young life. Now, as a reminder, uh, we are not going to be doing an on-the-ground, deep look and survey like Reverend Shane has done in his Trail Guide series, where we're really going to be diving into every single verse and taking our way to pick through it, Nor are we going to be doing like a nice thirty thousand foot crossover and flying through things as fast as we could. We're kind of in the middle here. We're going to be kind of coming up at about a thousand feet, taking a look at the scenery, digesting things as we need to, and then kind of hovering over certain spots and blasting through others. And so again, it's kind of in this middle place where we begin. And again, I want to remind you that I am not like Reverend Shane. I would not consider myself a trail guide, don't have that much experience. Look at me more as a tour guide. I promise to get you from point A to B safely and hopefully with some really good education, but not in the same way that, you know, let's say Reverend Shane would be able to do. So now let's get at it. Verse 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. As a kid, I always loved the idea of being a wise man. Um, I don't know why. Like, I, I didn't understand it. I had no idea around what it actually meant to be wise. But I just loved the idea of being a wise man. Again, for clarity, not a wise guy. That's different if you know what I'm talking about. Um, Sarcasm is fun sometimes. So. To be wise, though, biblically, uh, is very important. It means to hear and to obey. I mentioned that a little bit last week. And what we see here with the wise men specifically is they received this angelic message. They see the star rise in the, in the sky, and then they obey. They immediately take their journey now to go see this baby. And I think these wise men, it's kind of a beautiful thing what they do on their own, but there's also a lot of myth surrounding the wise men. So we need to dispel a little bit of these myths that have kind of cropped up in society for uh, quite a while. One myth is how many wise men there were. So for instance, if you were going to take a guess at how many wise men there are, you would say, We have no idea. (laughs) So biblically, we actually don't know how many wise men there were. We know there's more than one, for sure. Uh, But three, mm, not so sure. We can't really say. Now second, we know, or at least it's fairly certain, that the wise men were not kings, no matter what the song tells you. And so, we kind of look at this here. The wise men, the word that's used here is called magi. And so this would maybe be closer to like an astrologer, uh, somebody who studies the stars, somebody who actually studies the sky. And that actually explains why when the star rises, that these are the first people who notice it. And so there's this little hint here that's kind of blessed us there. Third and finally, it is highly unlikely that the wise men visited the baby Jesus on the night of his birth. Highly, highly, highly unlikely. And the reason is they would have had to travel from their homeland, wherever that happened to be, go have a meeting with King Herod, have his audience with him, then travel the six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem all in one night. Mm, Seems pretty unlikely. Seems very, very, very unlikely. So a lot of scholars kind of tend to look at this, and the best guess is somewhere between a few days to Jesus being a toddler. And so that's the kind of gap we're sort of working with here. But the fact that it was like the night of seems to be very, 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 very unlikely. Now, if you happen to have your nativity scene set up in your house and you want to play, uh, I don't want to say a prank, if you want to be more biblically accurate, set up your like baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and all that stuff over here. Take your wise men and like, stick them over on the other side of the driveway. And then for the people who know they'll get a kick out of it I will I think that'd be hilarious so just anyway all right at this junction we meet our antagonist we meet our bad guy King Herod verse 3 and 4 King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked where is the Messiah supposed to be disturbed would actually be a really, really good word to describe King Herod. King Herod is a very disturbed man. We will get into that a little bit later. But historically, we actually know quite a lot about King Herod. Um, this is the first in the line of the Herods, so to speak. And this is King Herod the Great. And there are a number of reasons why he was considered great. He kind of fits into this like perfect anti-hero stereotype that we would look at if we watch movies today. Because there are things that he did really well, people revered him. They looked up to him. They were thankful for him. And then he was also a terrible, terrible human being. On the positive side, uh, he helped coordinate and spearhead the building of two whole cities during his time. One along the port coast and then one further inland. He brought significant financial prosperity to Judea. I mean significant financial prosperity. So on that end, if your bank account starts rising pretty high when somebody's in power, you tend to get influence. And then famously, of all people, King Herod is the one who rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. So he had a lot of fandom, especially from the Jewish people, which he sort of claimed to be Jewish, but not really. So now you have King Herod here, who's obviously strongly influential. He's got a lot of power behind him. And now you have somebody come into your town and announce there's a new king. Not good. Verse 5 and 6. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So last week, if you guys were here, we talked about the lineage of Jesus Christ We talked about his pretty rocky heritage that he comes from, from Abraham all the way down to Joseph, and how it was uh, kind of a mess all the way through. However, it was the fulfillment of prophecy. So in some ways, it was God's mess. God helped to bless all of those generations and all of that craziness. He came from this (laughs) kind of rough background where it was everything from like an adulterous murderer to truly faithful people who were obedient to God. But again, it's the point of the fact that there was a fulfillment of prophecy, and it was something that God had ordained. We now see a similar fulfillment of prophecy here in this particular passage. So what's quoted here some 800 years before this time was the prophet Micah. And so Micah here declares this prophecy that we will see a new religious ruler or a new ruler come in through Bethlehem. And this it's kind of an incredible example, right? Micah five two in the case here that's quoted, this is one of at least 300 prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus in the Old Testament. So some scholars believe there's about 300 to 600 somewhere in there. They argue about that because scholars argue about everything. That's kind of like their full-time job. And so... We don't really know for sure, but even if you take it on the low end, you've got over 300 prophecies that have been fulfilled by Christ alone. What do you do with that? I mean, think about that. If you're really, if you're really bent on saying, well, Jesus is just kind of this whole second chapter to the Bible, and the Old Testament doesn't really matter, well, then how, you, how do you rectify all of these prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Christ? And this is one of the reasons why when we study God's Word, we need to study all of God's Word. We don't want to be missing things. We don't want to be just studying our favorite books. We don't want to be just studying the parts that we're most comfortable with. We actually need to get into all of God's Word. And the more we can do that together, the better. Now, how many of you guys are involved in our Walk Through the Word uh, online readings, Our New Testament stuff, our Old Testament Love it. I love to see that because that's kind of my project. It's something that I'm really passionate about. So I would love to see all of you raise your hands at some point. We'll get there. So, the Walk Through the Word Bible study started about five years ago, and it was a ping for Reverend Shane. Reverend Shane specifically felt that the church uh, needed to become more biblically literate to understand specifically what does the Word of God say. And so he brought that out of a ping from his own heart. He started it and launched it. And then now we've kind of grown it and blessed, thankfully, by God, where now it reaches about 10,000 people every day, which is crazy. You might notice there's not 10,000 people at Christ Church. Uh, We've gotten it out into the world. And so it's a very, very cool thing. But we truly believe the importance of studying the Bible here at Christ Church. It will change your whole life. It's something that the more you learn about Jesus, the more you learn about the scriptures, the more power there is to the effect and to change you. And we get that it's a commitment. We understand that. Even a daily reading that we do of five to ten minutes, we know that's a commitment. But I'd like to ask you, is there a better way to use five minutes of your time? Honestly? Is there a better way that you could affect your spirit? That you could affect your relationship with Christ? than to sit in God's Word and to think through it, read through it, pray through it. And so to help you with that, hopefully to encourage you a little bit, starting in 2024, as I mentioned, we're going to be getting into the New Testament again. New Testament is significantly easier to understand and read than the Old Testament. I fully agree with you on that. So this is a perfect time to jump back in. We just finished all of the reading guides. They're right out there on your way out. Grab one. We would love to have you. You can scan the QR code. You can join in the whole group as we have on Facebook. We've got it all over the place. We announce everything on there. I would like to challenge you guys to commit. Instead of saying, well, if I can, I get it. I do. Commit. Make the choice to do something bold and get into the Bible each day. We're even trying to make it easier. How many of you guys don't like to read? Really? Okay, be honest. We're in church. We're not allowed to lie. Okay, how many of you don't like to read? Thank you. Let's try that again. Very good. Now I'm proud of you guys. So now we are including an audio link for every single day. So you will be able to just click a button and you will be able to listen to the scriptures for each and every day. And that's a way that we're trying to take some of the intimidation out of it, take, make it a little bit easier for you. So please, please take that opportunity because, again, there's nothing more powerful that we can do than jump into the word of God and allow it to change us. Back to the scriptures. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. (sighs) So the Greek word for hypocrite is Hippocrates. And it literally means an actor, a pretender, or someone who wears a mask. And Herod is doing an excellent job of being a hypocrite. Uh, About 10 years ago now, uh, I got to, I wouldn't say an opportunity, I met a con man, an actual real professional con man. Uh, Not somebody who used to be a con man and then had kind of changed their life, nothing like that. And I remember it because the whole thing stood out. It was really strange. Uh, I was not working here at the church at the time, I was working somewhere else. And um, the guy came in, he was very charismatic, very well-dressed, very well-meaning looking, it's hard to describe. And he kind of was making his way through the office, introducing himself to everybody, and then he made his way over to my desk, and, and he's very warm and very welcoming and exciting and, and complimentary and all that stuff, right? And then he sees my Bible on my desk, and he quotes Proverbs from it. I'll never forget that. I, I wish I could remember the scripture that he quoted, but he quoted Proverbs to me. And what was strange was the uneasiness I had. It was that, like, something's not right here feeling. And it really bothered me. And at that point, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what. But over the course of time, we started to figure out, yeah, this was a con man. This was somebody who is bent on destruction. He'd caused a lot of damage in his path. And now we were the next people on that line. And it was rough. And it took a lot of years to figure all of that out. And in the most literal sense of the word, this man was a hypocrite. What he presented and then what he was were two very different things. He would have gotten along with Harry. So, (laughs) Christians often get the rap of being a hypocrite, right? We've heard it. And I cannot possibly tell you how much I disagree with that. (laughs) Because my experience, and maybe it's just my experience, maybe I've just been very blessed, my experience has been quite the opposite. Uh, Christian people that I know or Christian people that I've met have been some of the most genuine, honest, most real, vulnerable people, vulnerable people that I've ever met in my entire life. They don't, in many ways, uh, claim to be something that they're not. And I think that's something that goes inherently with Christianity, right? We recognize we're sinners, We recognize we're a mess. Goodness, I can't make it from 8 a.m. to 8.05 p.m. without messing up. And it's like that's, we understand that. And we understand that it's through the grace of Christ that we are made right. It's not about us. We recognize that. And so I think there's this false uh, pretense out there about Christianity. And it's something that I think that we should fight back against. And I really mean that. We should fight back against some of these lies When people say, well, a church is just full of hypocrites. No. No, it's not. Well, no, that... No. Stop. (laughs) Try again. Well, but... Nope. Mm. That's... No, I'm sorry. I disagree with you. Well, how would you know that? I don't know. I go to church with like 2,500 people. They all seem pretty great. You know, so we have to push back against some of these false narratives that society tries to push on because on some level, when we really are in a body of Christ the hypocrisy falls away because Christ takes that place. All right, moving on, off the soapbox. Anyway, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I love that response. Their response is to have joy and worship. Oh, man. What brings you joy? Like real joy, not happiness. I assume you guys know the difference here. Joy is that deep product, of a of kind of a permanent happiness in our hearts that comes from Christ. Happiness is stuff based on circumstances. What brings you joy, right? My kids, they bring me joy. They drive me crazy. Still bring me joy. I love them to death. They're amazing. The the laughter, the goofiness, the silliness, even the arguments, it still brings me joy. Brings me great joy. When I stepped on a Hot Wheels in the shower and almost broke my whole body, that still sort of gave me joy because it was like, I'm not always going to have Hot Wheels in the shower, but whatever. There's joy there, right? What brings you joy? As we go into this Christmas season, let's be different from the rest of society who's focused on all the negative stuff, right? Let's be a little bit different. Let's have joy. Let's be people who are worshipers, who show how great God is simply by who we are and how God has changed us. This is, is something that we can have modeled here by the wise men. It's, it's truly incredible. That doesn't mean we apologize, or that doesn't mean we're dishonest, excuse me, for if things are going wrong. There's a difference between... <laughs> having joy, and lying about what's happening. Do you understand the difference? If your whole life is blowing apart and things are bad, don't be like, it's good. It's not good. That's a lie. Don't lie. Okay? But you can say, you know, things are tough, but God's got it. We'll be okay. There's a difference there. There's that joy there. Because we can rely on that through Christ himself. Now, moving on into verse Verse 11. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, so how many of you know who gold, or what gold is? Okay, hopefully. Okay, frankincense. All right, myrrh. Cool, people who've studied, I like that. Yeah, so gold, we all have a pretty good idea of what it is. Uh, we don't know how much gold they were given. Uh, here's the short version. It doesn't really matter. Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus got a massive financial windfall when the wise men brought these gifts. And it's likely that these gifts are what actually funded a lot of the crazy things that are about to happen in their small family's life. But when we look at gold, we all kind of know what that is. Precious metal that holds a lot of value for a lot of reasons. Uh, Frankincense is a little bit different. Frankincense was used as part of temple worship. And it was a way, again, kind of an incense, and aroma that would be used as part of that temple process. And so it was also highly, highly, highly valued. Myrrh is the same way. Myrrh would have been used as an oil, and it would have been used for anointing specifically going into the temple. And so all three of these hold powerful significance, but they're also very, very, very valuable. I mean, very valuable. And so these, in a lot of ways, provided a really, really good start to what Joseph and Mary were going to be going through. Now, this question is asked a lot at Christmas, but I'm going to present it again. Are you giving Christ your best? It's a tough question, right? And I am just as guilty as absolutely anyone else could possibly be. When life is crazy the first thing that tends to fall off is my time with the Lord. It's my study of the Bible or my prayer, and that shouldn't be the case. And I know that, and I'm guilty of that. And so I have to be very intentional that the busier I get, the more I'm going to dive into the Word or into prayer or into worship. We want to give Christ our best, our absolute best. And the wise men do a beautiful example of this. We don't want to give God what's left after a long day and then taking care of chores and watching Netflix. That's not our best. We want to give God what we have when we're full of energy and excitement. And then after that, then the reward and the blessing from some of those things is then take it easy, relax, allow God to kind of speak through you through the restful times. So I'd like to challenge you as well to give God your best this season. Just for a season. We'll start with that because it's tough. It's very tough. But give God your absolute best. Verse 13 through 15. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. (sighs) Joseph's crazy. Do you notice in these passages how quickly obedient Joseph is? It's like, boom, something happens, and he just does. (laughs) It's kind of amazing. I really, really wish I was obedient like Joseph. Uh, Over this past year, we've been going through the ping life and some of those things, right? We've talked about what it means to receive a ping and heed the ping. And how many of you guys took part in that? How many of you have taken part in the 500 and things like that? Love it. Okay. How many of you would say that you were immediately obedient every time you were pinged? Yeah, me neither. It's rough, right? And this is the thing with Joseph. He gets these pings and then he immediately follows them. And these aren't even pings like, hey, go invite your best friend to church. You know, that would be what I would consider an easy ping. These are like, take your small family to another country because someone's trying to murder you. That's a harder one. (laughs) And this is the kind of obedience that Joseph has. And it's really powerful. Now moving into the rough stuff. Verse 16 through 18. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. And now... Kind of like a terrible action movie, the true character of the antagonist is revealed. We see just how evil this man can be. Historically, did Herod do some great things? Yes. Technically, that would be correct. Was he also an evil, despicable human being? Absolutely. No question about that. Scholars tend to look at this and look at Herod as they study him, and they believe that he started to go insane in his later years. Uh, He literally lost his sanity, and in the process, he became very paranoid and cruel and violent. Herod would end up murdering his wife, her two sons, her brother, her grandfather, her mother, and then his firstborn son. And that was before the incident in Bethlehem. And so, yeah, Herod was evil. When we read difficult passages like this, um, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers, guys. <laughs> this is tough stuff. This is really tough stuff. How do you work through that? You know? I struggle with questions like could God have protected those kids? I think the answer is yeah, he probably could have. <clears throat> Why didn't he? I don't know. I don't have that answer. I I don't know and I can't understand how God manages the challenges of a fallen world like this. I, I don't understand. That's way outside of my pay grade. And that's not something I really try to grasp too hard of it. Because when it comes down to it, I have to look at this and I have to realize it's not my call to make. It's God's call. And so I have to place my faith and trust in God. I have to look at him. I have to trust him. I have to look at what the Bible says and I have to trust in what that provides to me, that bit of comfort. And so when you find these pieces of difficult times in your life, when you hit the hard stuff that doesn't make sense and you're really crying out to God, why? Turn to scripture. Just like there are challenges in scripture like this, there's also comfort in scripture. Great comfort in scripture. Uh, About 10 years ago, I guess or so now, Uh, our family went through a period of kind of extended loss. And what I mean by that is it seemed like every couple of months, somebody in my family was passing away, and it was kind of rough. Um, It's still rough. It still hurts. And so at the time, um, being, I guess, resourceful, I used Google. Because, you know, if you don't know what to do, Google it, right? And so it was like, okay, scriptures on how to deal with, you know, loss. And one of the scriptures that I found was Isaiah 57 1. And I don't know if you guys have ever read this. It says, Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time, but no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. For those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die. Yeah, it's a hard scripture. It still hurts. The emotion's still there. The scars are still there, right? That doesn't change. But there's also this peace that God was protecting the people I loved, that he brought them into an eternal protection with him, that there's nothing that I could ever do or nothing that I could ever provide that would be equivalent to that. And so I can't imagine the pain in the morning that was occurring there at that time in Israel with the loss of so many baby boys. I can't imagine all the pain that's happening right now over in Israel and Gaza or in Russia or Ukraine. I can't imagine all the pain that's occurring in parts of the world where Christians are being martyred. Like I I don't have a a gear for that in so many ways, but I can't have hope (laughs) because God is bigger than our pain. It's tough to believe sometimes, but it's true. God is bigger than our pain, and God can bring us through some really, really tough stuff because He can handle it. We don't have to rely on our own strength. God can take that, and God can do a mighty and a powerful blessing even through the most difficult situations, especially if we learn how to submit to it. Moving on. Verse 19 and 20. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. This sounds harsh, uh, but man, that had to be a good feeling, right? <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, okay, you know, the guy who's been, you know, trying to track me and murder my son, my little itty-bitty son, he's finally gone, that's probably a sigh of relief, I would personally think, that's just my own opinion. But something that I've always kind of wondered when I read, (laughs) when I read about Joseph, the man was incredibly obedient, no question about it, you ever wonder if he, like, struggled with sleep, or he, like, dealt with anxiety, because every time he, like, went to bed, an angel showed up and was like, you need to leave, somebody's here to kill you, or like, hey, by the way, that fiance who's pregnant, she's cool, don't worry about it, like, These are the crazy things that go through my head when I read the Bible, because this is a real human. If I was in Joseph's situation, ain't no way I'm going to sleep. Not happening. (laughs) Insomnia is the life for me, man. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, especially there's the whole like, okay, sorry, here's a little side tangent. It was 400 years before God started talking to people again, okay? 400 years. Joseph there's a good chance he kind of knew that. And so now all of a sudden, God's talking to him like every Thursday. Like, oh man, I don't know. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Verses 21 through, I'm sorry. Verses 21 through 23. Oh man, somebody help me. So, So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, see, he left for the region of Galilee, so the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth, and this fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. So as you probably expect by now, Joseph was obedient immediately. He packs up his family, makes the trek back to Israel, and then he gets some bad news. Uh, Herod's son, King Herod's son, King Herod was evil, we've already talked about that, His son, Archelaus, not any better. Uh, Definitely a chip off the old block. Um, Joseph would have been understandably afraid to go back to Bethlehem because um, when Archelaus got into power, that was just before uh, the time of Passover. And so we know Passover, people from all over the area, all over Judea, would have come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Well, Archelaus was threatened by all of the Jews that came back into his city. And so he was basically threatened by this, so he sent the troops out to try and kind of settle things. That didn't work. What actually happened was the Jewish people basically rallied together and stoned the troops to death. So Archelaus responds by sending out a whole mass of the army, and over 3,000 Jews were killed. So this would have been right around that period of time. And so Joseph is knowing this, and I don't know about y'all, but I'm not about to take my family somewhere where 3,000 of my kinsmen were just killed. And so this is a, a really messy, crazy situation. But <laughs> once again, God fulfills a prophecy through this side tangent. And so in this delay, in this change of course, God moves Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus instead of going to Bethlehem now over to Nazareth to then fulfill that prophecy. And an important part here in all of our lives to think about is there's always more going on with God. There's always more going on with God. We don't always have the answers. So kind of as we wrap up this little bit of a tour for this evening, I would really like for you to consider your own beginnings. What Did your beginning look like? Where is it headed? How are you doing? When you look at Jesus and his beginning and his background, you see that crazy heritage that we talked about this week. And then we see the absolutely crazy trek throughout all of the Middle East there when things were going well so early and then it all went off of the rails so quickly. How is your beginning? For most of us, it's probably not perfect. Probably had some rough spots in there as well. Hopefully nothing like Jesus faced with the people who were trying to do cruel things to him and, and cruel things to others. But when we look at this account, and when you look at your own life, when you look at your own beginnings, again, I want to challenge you to look at the positives, right? It's so easy to focus on the negatives, right? It's so easy to look back on your family history or to look back on your life and only see the bad stuff, and I get it. Oh, am I guilty of that. But we have to remain positive. We have to see how God took something negative and then turned it into this incredible blessing. Final story here. The reason I'm in ministry is because of my best friend's death, not because of his life. It's a tough thing for me. I've had to work through that one. He invited me to church Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And I never once said yes. And it was after his passing and watching his testimony and how he was such a strong Christian where I was like, okay, I got some stuff to figure out. And then God, story for another day, decided to kind of move me in a different direction. Let's just call it that. And now, thank God, I get to serve him in every possible way. We don't always understand what's gonna happen, guys. We don't always understand if it's gonna be easy or if it's gonna be perfect or all that stuff, but look at the positives. I am so, so grateful for the testimony of my friend who passed because without that, I wouldn't be here. And that's something that is, in many ways, a greater gift than I could have ever asked for. So whatever you're dealing with, whether you're having tremendous period of trials or you're in a tremendous period of celebration. Stay focused, stay positive, look towards the Lord, give him thanks, and absolutely celebrate. Then, as we see next week, Jesus is going to start things off strong. We'll be able to look at this crazy, wild man called John, who's going to pave the way for Christ. And then we're going to see heaven open up and do a mighty thing for Jesus. So with that, would you please join me in prayer? We're going to pray, and we're going to wrap up with the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you, Lord. We're so thankful for your many blessings. We're so thankful for this path that sometimes it's confusing that we just can't understand. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting. We pray for those who are in a trial, a difficult period. Pray that you would be with them, that you would draw close to their hearts, that you would be present. And Lord, that your gift would be your son as we get into what it means this Christmas season to love this baby boy who became our Savior. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that we would be changed, that we would be able to see the positives in the world, that we would be able to see the positives in ourselves, that we wouldn't focus on the difficult parts, and that, Lord, we could honor and glorify you in all things. And Lord, just as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen. Christ Church, your blessing. Pray that you have an absolutely wonderful week. Pray that you get that challenge taken care of, that you look within yourself, see all the positives in there. Pray that you have a wonderful night. Christ Church, go in peace.